0: Hi, I'm Lil. And I'm Fitz. And you're listening to Knock Once for Yes. And do you find us experiencing somewhat of a second summer? After a week of chilly weather and promisingly misty mornings, we were gearing up for the golden hues of autumn and all the excitement of the spooky season when out of nowhere we got hit with another mini heat wave. We should be wrapping up warm watching Poltergeist under a blanket, not slowly melting in shorts and t-shirts that said we're never too far from halloween at coffee hq and even a little unseasonable warmth won't prevent us from having a chilling time oh that was cheesy fits what have we got coming up on this episode this episode the wald newton triangle pings the paranormal radar we have listener stories from desiree sarah and sue and we continue what's turning out to be our three-part Norfolk series to find out just what it is that makes the county so spooky, with the wonderful ladies behind Weird Norfolk.
1: But before we get stuck into all of that spooky goodness, we first want to give a massive shout-out to our new patrons. Pam Skitchinski,
0: Tanya McDowell. Bex Oliver. And Catherine Olsen. And thank you also to those that donated through coffee... Jacqueline, Jean and Sarah.
1: Thank you so much to all of our patrons, old and new and our coffee supporters. You amazing lot are the engine behind the coffee machine and we simply couldn't do this without you. We're so grateful that we also get to do it without filling the show up with ads as well. We know that times are pretty tough for everyone so it's massively appreciated that you're continuing to support us and literally keep the lights on at Coffee HQ. Over the years, this show has become so much more than just a podcast. It's become a community. And honestly, we can't imagine life without all of you as part of it.
0: Yes, we've been absolutely loving having our coffee Zooms where we've actually got to see and speak to you all.
1: I know, it's brilliant. And the group's growing as well. If you're not a member of the group, please do pop on over to Facebook and join in the chat. Well, it's time for the Paranormal Radar. What's pinged it this month, Fitz?
0: Well, this time on the Paranormal Radar, it's off to my mum's neck of the woods as our story takes us to Yorkshire, and according to the Hull Daily Mail, the most highly concentrated area of myths and legends in England. Though, as we'll find out later in the episode, that is a disputed title. (laughs) The Walled Newton Triangle is named after a village the paper describes as being at its centre. Though a brief look at the provided map seems to suggest that Using the most central settlement as a criteria, it should instead be called the Willy Howe Triangle. I guess they thought that Willie Howe lacked the required gravitas. In fact, delving just a little deeper, I'm not exactly entirely sold on the whole triangle thing in general. It doesn't really seem to have much of a bearing on anything and some of the stories mentioned in the article take place outside of the triangle anyway. The meat of the story, however, is that there are an unusually high number of paranormal stories and experiences that take place in the area. From werewolves and devil dogs like the black shuck from Norfolk, here called Old Stinker, as apparently in Yorkshire, the most distinguishing feature of an eight foot tall wolf with glowing red eyes is its bad breath. There's screaming skulls, drunken fairies, ley lines, a river that predicts disasters zombies, and more, some a little more bizarre than others. My favourite story, though, comes from the seaside town of Filey. According to legend, the village was ruled over and terrorised by a fearsome dragon. The locals, somewhat fed up with this, came up with a cunning plan. A plan so cunning that Baldric himself would be stunned speechless in awe of its cunningness. The plan was that the villagers would trick the dragon into eating a particularly sticky cake. And the dragon, horrified at the thought of getting any cavities in its magnificently terrifying teeth, would rush immediately to the sea in order to give them a good brushing. The villagers would take the opportunity, whilst the dragon was so distracted, to drown it and free themselves of its tyrannical rain. Amazingly, the plan appears to have been a successful one, as finally Briggs rocks are claimed to be the fossilised bones of said dragon. As usual, we'll put links to the article in the show notes on the website, and I think we may have to put the Wald-Newton Triangle on the list of places to visit.
1: Oh, I love that story so much. It's so British, a cunning plan that centres around cake.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: like I can't get yeah. much
0: better than that. You couldn't make it up though, could you? <laughs>
1: I do like the dragon though. I had to um, quickly Google the pictures of the briggs rocks, and I can see why it looks like a dragon. It's it's this rock formation, and it kind of just snakes out into the sea. It's got that serpentine shape to it, mm. so you can definitely see where the legend came from. And I think it's a really cool one.
0: I, I just I couldn't get over the Baldric reference just because it was so Blackadder. <laughs> yeah. Like you can just imagine one of the villagers going, "Hang on a minute." I've got a plan. I've got a cunning plan. have a cunning plan. It does sound like something straight out of Blackadder. It really love does. It. And if you're not British and you have no idea what we're talking about with all this Baldrick and Blackadder nonsense. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> look it up. From series two onwards. You will love it. You will thank us later. Series one was a bit meh, but yeah. Series two onwards. Check it out. And moving on from something that we absolutely love to something that apparently you guys love because we have been inundated with messages and emails and stories from people after they listen to our time slip episode. We've got a couple of listener comments on this that we had to share. So we'll start off with one from Katie.
1: After listening to your time slip episode, I realised that I may have experienced a slip. When I was 14, my grandma had passed away. I was upset because I couldn't say goodbye as she was so poorly that my parents didn't think it was appropriate for me to see her. I was walking up a hill in the town I live in and the atmosphere suddenly changed. I couldn't hear anything and everything slowed down. I then saw my grandmother walking past. There were others with her but I could only focus on her. She then smiled at me. For years, I've thought this was a result of me being upset and my brain playing tricks on me. My grandmother visited my town on numerous occasions during her life. Your show made me think, maybe it was a time slip.
0: Thank you, Katie, for getting in touch and sharing that. It's really interesting, the thing that jumps out... Is when you say the atmosphere suddenly changed. That's what got me as well
1: because so many times, and we've actually experienced this ourselves Yeah, when we had what we think may have been a time slip. It's almost as if the atmosphere got thicker or denser Mm -hmm. or heavier. There's a, a muffling effect to the sound, almost like you get in heavy mist or when there's a thick blanket of snow on the ground. And the sound gets absorbed from the atmosphere mm, differently. Yeah. And the birds aren't singing. The You know, the animals are quieter than normal. Everything sounds just weird and different and muffled and, and a bit wrong.
0: <laughs> yeah, the other interesting thing was that she wasn't alone. She was with a group of people. Mm. So that kind of also makes me think more towards time slip yeah. than ghost traditional sort of sense. And I haven't heard of the time slowing down before. Yeah, that's interesting. But...
1: Accompanying time slip occurrences, there does seem to be sort of a varied sort of, I want to call them symptoms almost, you know, Mm. phenomena that kind of go along with it. Just the sort of time being out of place, sound being out of place, everything just altering slightly. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Funnily enough, the difference in sound and that kind of change in the atmosphere crops up in another listener comment we had about time slips. And this one was on our YouTube channel from Motor City West
0: Auto. They said, I had an interesting experience a couple of years ago. First off, I've always had very strong instances of déjà vu. They've become less frequent with age, but used to be a frequent occurrence. Maybe a little more than déjà vu, as I knew what was going to happen before it did, and good, bad or indifferent, I couldn't do or say anything to change it. So about two and a half years ago, I was on my way home from work. I worked midnight, so was driving home to a sunrise. I was stopped at a traffic light about a mile from work. I looked down at my phone, and the air got weird. I'm not sure how to explain it. Buttery, thicker, mushy. I don't know how to put it, but it was different, and I couldn't get past the feeling I was under a cover all of a sudden, like an airplane was stopped over the truck or something. When I looked up, I was still stopped at the traffic light, but now it was dark out, and I was heading in the other direction, back towards work. My mental state went to the kind of feeling you might expect upon hearing about a death in the family or something like that, hot hit in the stomach feeling i looked at the radio and it was now 10 39 pm even though it was between 6 50 and 7 am just a few seconds ago i continued into work trying to figure out what just happened somehow close to 16 hours had just vaporized i had no memory of going home at all i had no one to ask either i was close to retirement and had already moved my wife to arizona and my girls were away at college i didn't say a word about it to anyone because i was a deputy sheriff and i didn't want anyone thinking i was going insane at the time i was very tired and overworked sleeping about four or five hours a night i tried to work it out in my mind but didn't come up with much Temporary one-time incident of narcolepsy maybe? Temporary memory loss? I just couldn't rationalise it with anything solid. It bothered me for a long time. It's one thing to lose a few minutes, but I lost 16 hours in a few seconds. I'm retired now, completely sane and still not sure what happened. Still gives me the willies thinking about it and still have no recollection of anything happening in that 16-hour period. I don't know if there's some totally rational explanation I haven't run across yet, or if something out of the ordinary happened.
1: That's so strange, and thank you so much for sharing. That's absolutely fascinating, if a little terrifying. I think, again, the thing that stands out to me is you've got all the phenomena, those weird little things, those sort of telltale signs, the signals mm-hmm. that something out of the ordinary, something maybe paranormal, supernatural is going on, the change in the atmosphere. I actually know that feeling of feeling like something is overhead. Yeah. When they talked about maybe the, it feeling like an airplane being over the car, it's it's more. I've experienced it as like a sense of pressure, like the atmosphere is literally closing in almost like a yep. bubble around you. We've had that at some locations we've been to.
0: Yeah, I know mean, I was gonna say when we had our sort of weird potentially time slip experience, thinking about it now, it did almost feel like we were sort of under a dome.
1: Yes. Like a, a blanket or something. And that mm. was what was muffling the sound and making the atmosphere feel weird. I mean, obviously all the same things would be going through my mind. Is it medical? Is it stress? Stress can absolutely affect your memory. But, I mean, this is a really extreme example. I'd I've, I've never heard of anybody to lose that much time.
0: No. I mean, my first thought was that he was exhausted, he fell asleep in his car, but then but 16 then he on hours, the road. <laughs> yeah. 16 hours, even if he was facing the same direction, you know, someone would have woken him up. Absolutely. But he was facing the other way. Yeah. Like, heading back to work. So, the car... At the very least, he turned around and started heading back the other way. I'm wondering, like alien abduction. That's that's my first
1: <laughs> He thought. had to go
0: there. <laughs> well, he said he felt like something was above the car.
1: And... I don't know. My brain did not go there at all. But I think you you kind of have a point in that when when we hear time slips, sometimes your brain does go to things like abduction or well, mm-hmm. losing time. Yeah. When you talk about losing time, that's something a lot of people would associate with sort of the UFO kind of phenomena i don't think that's necessarily you know the only the only thing you should associate it with there are so there's so much of this phenomena that crossover and I think the paranormal is all just one great big umbrella and to be honest we don't we really don't know what's going on I mean this the only other thing I could think medically is that you you could literally potentially you could lose the memories from an halt from a whole day you know just go about mm. your business and just completely lose it but I would, I mean, I'm not a doctor, obviously, <laughs> disclaimer, but I would expect there to be other things to go along with that, to have just one completely isolated incident with nothing nothing similar preceding it, nothing coming after it that was the same. it It's very weird to yeah, have nothing I, else.
0: I, and again, like you say, I'm not a doctor and I've never sort of had that kind of experience, but you'd have thought there'd be some kind of like hazy break in between not just like i look down and look up and it's 16 hours later yeah like oh god did i fall asleep or something and oh what's going on where was i oh yeah i was on my way home from work not just like click and bam it's no and that's, a,
1: that's a good point actually i know when i've been really stressed um sometimes I, i've said i've forgotten the drive to work mm. and by that i mean that you know i remember being in the car i just yeah. can't remember can't any of the details and yeah because you're tired you've just woken up you know i'm very stressed in a rush and it's not exactly that i don't have any memory it's just that i've lost the detail of the memory so like you say to sort of look down at the clock and it'd be one time and then look up and 16 hours later that's it's very extreme Mm. and i don't
0: know I, i think there's something else i think there's something else going on there was definitely something weird happening there so thank you again for getting in touch and sharing your experiences and we've been really enjoying hearing about these time slip experiences so if there's any more of you that have had these time slip experiences get in touch and we may well put another time slip episode together yeah that would be cool and it's stories galore this episode as we move on to our next listener story and this one is from Desiree
1: I like many people try to find reasonable explanations for any odd occurrences I have which sometimes conflicts with my gut instinct. But because I could explain it away with a breeze, a neighbour's perfume, one of my four cats, or just my mind playing tricks, I usually forget about it. Though there was one experience I never could explain away. I was living with a best friend at the time in this old one-bedroom apartment in downtown Tucson. I say old because it's the oldest part of the city, but with Arizona being the last mainland state to join the Union, old is a relative term. This apartment building was supposedly erected in the 1920s, but prior to that, the land was occupied by the military, according to an old assessor's map I found dating back to 1877. The building had many of its original features. Old peek-through keyholes on the doorknobs, an absolutely ancient kitchen, and no real closets. It was perfect for two best friends exploring their freedom after both getting out of horrible relationships. Since it was a one-bedroom, my friend Lexi sectioned off part of the living room to use as her bedroom, and I took the actual bedroom. The bathroom was only accessible through my bedroom, so it was a bit of a privacy trade-off. We also had a heater in the wall between the bedroom and the living room where Lexi and I slept. Sometimes, when one of us couldn't sleep, we would whisper through the heat vent to see if the other was awake. One night, as I was drifting off to sleep after chatting with Lexi, I heard something clatter to the floor in the bathroom. It startled me, but... Being so close to sleep, I thought, oh, I'll just pick it up in the morning. That was until I realised there was nothing in the bathroom to clatter. Being such an old building, there were no vertical spaces like cabinets or shelves to put anything up in the bathroom. Our shampoo and soap were kept on the floor of the tub until we needed to use them. Nothing could actually make the sound I heard. With this realization, my eyes shot open, but I was too spooked to move. Now hyper aware, I listened for any further strange sounds. Was someone in the bathroom? Maybe someone broke in while we were gone and they were just waiting for us to fall asleep until making their escape. Or maybe I was just dreaming. I took a deep breath and I mustered up the courage to whisper through the heat event. Lexi, Yes? Is everything okay? I don't know. I I heard a noise in the bathroom. I heard it too. I thought maybe you tripped on something. No, I was falling asleep in bed. We chatted back and forth about what it could be, but finally I asked if I could sit with her until I calmed down. I got out from under my covers and sprinted into the living room and into her bed. We continued to think about the possibilities. Finally, Lexi had had enough speculating and very confidently stated, ''I'm going in.'' She opened up my bedroom door and flicked the light, peeked in, then closed the door again. She turned back towards me. She stared off for a moment. ''Desi, how did you get out of bed?'' What do you mean, how did I get out of bed? I mean, what did you do when you got out of bed? Thinking this was silly, I mockingly reenacted lifting the covers off my body and walking towards the door. So, you didn't do anything weird with your blankets, your pillows? What? No, I wanted to get out of my room as quickly as possible. Well, take a look at your bed now and let me know if that looks right to you. Lexi stepped aside and I opened my bedroom door. All of my blankets and pillows had been pulled down to the foot of the bed and piled on top of each other. Nope. I closed my door and ran back to Lexi's bed. She was right behind me. Now we were both shaking and silent. We hardly slept that night, but we slept together and with salt around the bed, just in case. In the morning, I had to get back into my room to use the restroom. I opened my door and saw the blankets and pillows still piled up at the end. I threw them back into place and then ran into the bathroom. Just as I thought, there was nothing out of place. Nothing could have toppled over to make the sound that I heard. That is the only time I could not explain away what I experienced.
0: And thank you to Desiree for getting in touch and sharing that story. It was an interesting one. It's almost Vardoga-like, apart from the bedsheets. It's just like somebody else. You've heard somebody going about their bathroom routine. Yeah. But then you get to the bit with the bedsheets, and you're like, what
1: was going on there? I love these kinds of stories, though, because... It's just not what you're expecting to happen. It's almost like there's a twist. You know, I'm down all the way with, you know, something's made a noise in the bathroom. It's unexplained. There's nothing to make the noise. That's that's creepy enough in itself. And then to find that while she's out of the bedroom, her sheets and pillows have been piled up at the end of the bed... That's just oh, so many layers of weird going on there.
0: I love the way that you just like I'm fine with one unexplainable weird thing, but when it gets to two, what's well, going too It's more too like far.
1: it's more like when it messes with your bed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's you know, place of sleep should be sacred.
0: <laughs> true, but then I also find bathroom like you're at your most vulnerable. Oh, in that's the true.
1: Yeah, I, I guess your bed and the bathroom are the two places you really don't want paranormal activity. But I'm totally with her on the. Um, you know you you're just falling asleep you're all comfy your eyelids are drooping and you hear a sound and you just you really every fiber of you really wants to write it off as like it's nothing don't worry and then your adrenaline reacts for you and you just get that that knot in your stomach like oh
0: no there were that sound wasn't okay (laughs) it's like that was the cat and your subconscious goes the cat's Mm -hmm. on your lap yeah and you're like (laughs) that was the cat
1: (laughs) but yeah yeah, your your instincts are having none of it they're like nope nope there's something amiss here you've got to wake up now been there thank you again to desiree for sharing that story it was a really fascinating one and this next one is from sarah
0: i've never been a true paranormal believer don't get me wrong i'm open to the idea but i'm also quite the skeptic when we were kids we lived in california and would often fly to Michigan to stay with our grandparents. I always enjoyed spending summers in Michigan, but there was always something uncomfortable about my grandparents' house. It was the house my mum grew up in, and my grandparents had lived there for many, many years. I used to sleep in what was called the green room, clever right? Which was my mother's room when she was a child. I was never comfortable in that room, and eventually got up the courage to ask to sleep in another room, the yellow room to be exact. My mother asked me why I was so nervous about sleeping in the green room, and I told her, the closet door always opens on its own, I feel like someone's watching me. Her response was, that's what you said when you were a child, that you didn't like the tall man looking at you. This confused me because I don't remember ever telling her that not only could I feel someone watching me but that I had a distinct memory of it being a tall thin man. She went on to explain that when I was around three I'd woken her up in the middle of the night to say that I didn't like the tall man staring at me while I slept. She then continued and said that when she was a child she also saw the tall thin man staring at her from the closet i never slept in that room again and while i did spend many more summers at the house i always quickly walked past that room it eventually became my grandfather's office and if i ever had to go in there i would cautiously glance at the closet door it would always open on its own after being shut completely to my knowledge No one's ever died in that house. My mum suspects it was her uncle who killed himself when she was a child. But while she says she never felt threatened by the spirit, I did. It felt like I wasn't welcome in that room.
1: Thank you so much to Sarah for sharing that experience with us. What is it about closets? why do ghosts hang out in closets because it, i know it's it's almost it, like a horror movie yeah, trope but it, it literally happens it really does happen
0: i yeah i don't know but it it had like there's something that gets me about the stories where it's just like i did a da, i did this as a child and my mum's like I had the same thing and I it's know. always like my mum or my dad and it's like in the same room I had the same experience and I thought I was just imagining it but now you're having it yeah and at that confirmation it just immediately
1: the goose flesh raises mm-hmm. on your arms doesn't it but yeah the, it, it's the same with attics you know again it's a horror movie trope ghosts hanging out in attics yeah, in closets basements on the stairs you know places that aren't generally populated
0: mm. much by people and, is and that we the reason well they're just possibly keeping out of the way
1: quite possibly and I, I think it's become such a horror movie trope that it's almost sort of you know it's almost like an in-joke now but mm. we've had experiences in these exact places it it really does happen it really does seem that that is where a lot of experiences occur
0: yeah so they're just staying out of our way and that, the monster under your bed is more scared of you than you are of it it's trying to <laughs> kind of stay out of the way
1: that's what I said about the spider that ma- magically appeared and just descended from the ceiling between our two microphones while we were recording this very episode and that's what exactly what I said to Fitz. And um he wasn't impressed by my my, my explanation at all. <laughs>
0: when the creepy eight-legged monster bungee jumps off the ceiling into your face. Like that <laughs> that is not the action Is something that's scared of you. Don't worry, listeners. I put him outside safely
1: and gently. I mean the spider, not Fitz. <laughs>
0: <sighs> and with that, it is time for our next story. And this one is from Sue.
1: Back in around 1991, I, along with my then-boyfriend and two friends, decided it might be fun to do the ghost tour that had recently begun operating at North Head Quarantine Station in Sydney. To give a little background, the station is located on the northern side of the entrance to Sydney Harbour and operated continuously from 1832 until 1984. Ships carrying passengers with infectious diseases were sent there to quarantine until it was safe for them to enter the general populace. Our tour was booked for an evening in June commencing at 8pm. So, being winter, it was dark but not overly chilly for the time of year. Everyone assembled at the meeting point and then we were split into two groups, with one group, ours, to watch a film on the history of the station prior to the tour and the other to watch the film at the end. The tour would finish with both groups meeting up to enjoy some Billy tea with Damper and discuss anything they may have encountered. At the conclusion of the film, our guide informed us that we would be doing the tour in the dark, with her leading, carrying the only hurricane lamp. Fortunately, there was a decent amount of moonlight, so once our eyes adjusted, we could see reasonably well. The lamp only added to the ambience of the tour, so nobody had any objections. Our first encounter was at the second class quarters. The timber building consisted of an upper floor with a veranda and a kitchen below. We'd stopped outside of the door to the kitchen, and the guide told us that, on occasion, inexplicably, it was impossible to open the door. She sorted through her key ring to find the appropriate key. Then, as she leaned over to place it in the lock, the tumblers within the lock could be heard, as if someone or something had quickly turned the key. This was despite the key not yet being in the lock. This clearly startled her and she jerked back asking nervously, Did anyone hear that? Definitely had, and we told her so. She composed herself, but still looking a little shaken, placed the key in the lock, and after a little jiggling, was able to get the door open. Our group entered, and the guide continued with the history of the quarters. While she was doing so, I decided to have a look around. In one corner of the room, I encountered an area that was icy cold, and to be honest gave me the heebie-jeebies spooked i legged it out of there not wanting to spend any more time in that room my friend tim wasn't far behind me and seemed a little spooked himself when i asked what was wrong he said that he'd walked through a cold patch and it had given him a bad feeling turns out it was the same corner of the room Needless to say, we both waited outside for our group to emerge. We told our friends, but we didn't share with the rest of the group, thinking they might be a bit sceptical. The tour continued down roads with scrubby bush on either side, down to the hospital precinct where we had our second encounter. Our first stop was the nurses' quarters, a long timber building with a veranda on one side perpendicular to the building and down a few stairs was a covered walkway that led to the hospital our group had stopped outside the hospital for the guide to continue her talk my friends and i were at the back of the group and i had turned away from the guide to speak with my friends so as i looked at them i was facing back towards the nurse's quarters at the bottom of the stairs at the end of the walkway I could see what looked to be a woman in a dark dress with long sleeves and a full skirt. She wasn't in sharp focus, looking a little hazy, and I could see the stairs behind her through her skirt. Without a word, I nudged my friends and indicated with a nod of my head that they should look down the walkway. To their amazement, they could see her too then she just disappeared none of us knew quite what to make of it so when the guide finished her talk and got the group moving we approached her to tell her what we'd seen to our surprise she said oh thank god you saw it too i thought i was the only one it made sense that she would see it as she'd been facing the stairs when addressing the group were we freaked out yet maybe a little but we were also excited to have seen something and so we continued on. From there we headed along another dark road to the site of what had been the morgue and it was there we had a rather hilarious paranormal blooper. Our guide instructed the group to go in, not entering first as she had been doing in the other buildings. A young woman from our group entered first, And within seconds we heard her terrified shriek, then saw her bolt out of the building. It turned out that, to give the building context, a mannequin covered with a sheet had been placed on one of the tables. Initial terror turned to embarrassed laughter when she realised this was the case. She'd believed it was an apparition. The whole group had a possibly relieved chuckle over it, but I do wonder if the guide deliberately instigated it. Toward the end of the tour, we were in the wharf precinct at Quarantine Beach, where ships would enter and passengers would disembark to be processed. This area is truly fascinating, with carvings in the sandstone cliffs done by sailors from various ships over the years. This precinct of the station has several buildings, including an autoclave for luggage and a block of showers for new arrivals. It was in the shower block that we had our final encounter. The building contains banks of metal shower cubicles painted a rather ghastly shade of aqua blue and it definitely had a creepy vibe. We had just set foot in the building with nobody in the area aside from our group when suddenly one of the showers came on. Everyone, including the guide, was more than a little freaked out And after turning off the shower, we left the building. The guide couldn't give any explanation as to why this might have happened. It was equal parts thrilling and terrifying, if I'm honest. At the end of the tour, when everyone was assembled for tea, there was much excited chatter about the encounters. The other group had heard what sounded like a bell ringing when they were at the nurses' quarters Initially, they thought it might have been our group, but we reassured them that it wasn't us, so they had their own encounter to notch up. I would definitely recommend the tour for anyone visiting Sydney, not just for the paranormal you may encounter, but also the history. You can even stay on site these days if you dare. Another visit with friends might be on the cards.
0: And thank you to Sue for getting in touch and sharing that story. And it does sound awesome and I would really like to go. I want to go there. But, as we've just found out... (laughs) Fitz is terrified of spiders. Don't like spiders. And not only do they have deadly ones, they have really big jumpy in your face ones. (laughs) Not jumpy in your face spiders. Yeah, I can't remember what they're called. They're huntsman spiders or something? The ones that are like the size of a dinner plate.
1: Yeah, I know to be fair. jump at you. Like, no.
0: Just know. I'm not bothered about spiders, but even I don't like the ones that jump. Do you know what? When I moved, I had a flat years and years ago and these people moved in and um, they had a sort of housewarming party and we were chatting away. I put my beer down on the glass coffee table that wasn't a coffee table. It was a tank that they had a tarantula in. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was introduced to the tarantula. And do you know what? I didn't touch it or anything, but it didn't freak me out because it was really slow.
1: Yeah, it's the fast, skittery ones, isn't it? I, can,
0: I could just about manage it, and I knew that I was going to be faster than it to the door if I had to be. Well, also, it was in a glass tank. Well, no, they took it out and handled it.
1: Oh, oh, ooh, okay.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it wasn't hor- horribly keen, but <laughs> no, dealt with it. The ones, the big jumpy ones, mm. just no. Like, if it can cross a room and hit me in the face and it's got bangs, <laughs> no, nah, just no. Nah. Oh, bless him if you could see his face now. That's a big nope for me. I'm sorry. No, I, I'm,
1: I'm there. I would love to visit that place. I would brave the spiders. It sounds amazing. And that sighting... Of, well, I mean, it sounded like a nurse to me. Yeah. With the the way the dress and the clothing was Mm -hmm. described, sounded like, and bearing in mind they were looking at the nurse's quarters. But it's so interesting that multiple people saw it, not just the group of friends,
0: but also the guide. It's interesting because we've come across this a few times where some people see things and others don't, or they see slightly different things, like more or less detail. But this seemed like they all saw exactly the same thing, Mm -hmm. which was interesting.
1: Yeah really really cool place
0: so yeah if i can ever get over my fear of spiders then <laughs> we'll put it on the list we'll put it on the list it's it's in pencil, <laughs> in pencil.
1: <laughs> well that may be the end of the listener stories we've got for you today but we've got a listener paranormal postcard which
0: we're very excited to share with you from hannah chummy my boyfriend and i stayed at an old farmhouse for a little holiday in lancashire The first thing in the guidebook left by the owners, after all the do's and don'ts, was a story about how the lane and farm was haunted. The locals believed that a person was murdered on this lane and after the murder, the local Radcliffe family began having hauntings and family members started dying in mysterious ways. Mr. Radcliffe decided he'd had enough and laid a large stone slab outside the farmhouse in the lane and had the following words carved into the stone to try and calm the spirit. Ralph Radcliffe laid this stone to lie forever, AD 1655. Local people passing by reported loud screeching, bumping and banging, being pinched and clothes being messed with. Horses would become spooked when travelling the lanes and refuse to pass locals said it was a boggart a particularly nasty type of ghost a doctor at the time reported that his horse refused to pass and so the doctor decided to challenge the boggart whereupon a shapeless mass appeared and dragged him from his horse and almost squeezed the breath from his body luckily the doctor was able to make it back to his horse and ride to safety After the Radcliffe family left the area, a new tenant decided to try and move the slab up to the farm, but it was very difficult. It took six horses and lots of local people to move it, many of them were injured and reported hearing a lot of noise from the stone itself. When the slab made it to its final place, the happenings didn't stop anything placed on top would fall off or was thrown across the room the first night there was reports of loud banging clattering and nasty sounds from the area the slab was placed the next day the new tenant decided to take the slab back to its original place but this time it only took one horse and the slab appeared to be moving on its own at times since the slab had been returned to its original spot it has remained quiet as for ourselves i took a photo of the slab and was very respectful the only thing i experienced was knocking on the bedroom door the first night we were there but i was woken by the sound so i think it was probably just the house settling
1: Thank you so much to Hannah for sharing that paranormal postcard with us. We love hearing your spooky holiday stories. We love hearing about all the places you've visited and the hauntings that were associated with them. If you've been somewhere spooky, please do write in and tell us about it. And This was a really interesting local legend. And you know me, I couldn't help looking it up for myself. And it, looking at the slab, it is a massive stone slab. It's kind of laid into a squat stone wall And the slab itself, it's about nine feet long, two foot wide and over a foot in depth. So, you know, this is a significant piece of stone. It's thought to weigh several tons. It's quite famous in local folklore. And although these days it's known as the written stone, if you want to look it up for yourself, at one time it was known by locals as the cursed stone due to the supernatural activity that seemed to follow it when it was moved. The lane itself that it is on also attracted a variation on its name for a time during the height of the paranormal activity when locals began to call it Boggart Lane, which I love. That's an amazing name, Boggart Lane. I love it. I found some really interesting blogs on the stone and according to them, there does seem to have been some further paranormal encounters continuing in the lanes around the farm even after the stone slab was returned to its original resting place. One author in the 1870s apparently reported that the apparition of a woman had been seen in the vicinity of the stone, followed by a different author around a decade later relating another similar sighting, again regarding a shadowy figure of a female being seen in the lanes around the area. I'll put the links to these blogs in the show notes so you can check them out for yourselves and see the authors and the books that they're referencing for these additional paranormal encounters they're talking about because it is really interesting. But also Hannah put her own photo of the stone slab in the Facebook group. So if you're in there, go and check it out. It's really, really interesting.
0: It sounds like something from the sort of Victorian age. Come see for yourself the Cursed Stone of Boggart Lane. (laughs)
1: The Cursed Stone of Boggart Lane. Oh, I love it. (laughs) Such a good
0: title. I can see the, you know, the, illustrate the graphics of the uh, <laughs> the victorian the victorian graphics, signs yeah. yeah and that i'm afraid was the last of the listener stories and paranormal postcards for this episode thank you to everyone who shared their paranormal experiences with us and don't forget to get in touch if you've had a spooky encounter through our website at com. We are always in need of more stories and we're also specifically looking for stories involving telephones, radios and televisions at the moment. So please do let us know if you've had an experience like this. But fear not, that is not the end of the show,
1: not yet. To segue rather neatly from a listener's paranormal holiday experiences to another haunted holiday destination, this time of the seaside variety – as we continue our three-part deep dive into Haunted Norfolk. Now, we absolutely couldn't do a series on Paranormal Norfolk without talking to these amazing ladies you're going to hear next. You will have heard us mention them on the show before because we've often cited their articles and podcasts in our Paranormal Postcards, and they've been so incredibly helpful to us with our research. If you search for Weird Norfolk on the interwebs, you'll find a treasure trove of information Researched, written, and produced by the Weird Norfolk team. They've even built an incredible online map of the county, documenting all the supernatural stories and legends with markers that will take you to the full stories of each location. It's just awesome. Honestly, we're in awe of the work that they're doing, and we've wanted to talk to them for ages, so we were thrilled to get the opportunity to sit down have a good old chinwag about all things spooky and strange on the east coast of England with the wonderful ladies from Weird Norfolk. So We're very fortunate to have with us on the show today, Stacia Briggs and Shifra Connor from Weird Norfolk. Hello ladies, how are you doing today?
2: Hello. Hello. Yeah, very good, thank you. Very pleased to be with you. I was just going to say that, Stacia. I'm very, very pleased to be with you. <laughs>
1: Awesome. We've been wanting to have you guys on the show for quite a while now because, as our listeners will know, we cannot seem to keep away from Norfolk. It is just so glorious in all its weirdness that we just keep going back there. But for any of our listeners who may not have heard of you, what is Weird Norfolk? Who are you? What do you do?
2: So we work for the local newspaper called the Eastern Daily Press. And we kind of started because we're both really interested in weird stuff. And we realised there was a bit of a a, a hole <laughs> where no one was talking about the weird stuff in Norfolk. Mm. And um, we just started looking into the stories. I did research. Stacia started writing the stories for the paper. And we just realised there's like a never-ending supply of weirdness here, basically.
3: We are the UK
2: centre of the weird. That's a fact. <laughs>
1: That
3: you is an actual literal fact. <laughs>
1: actual fact. You heard yes. it here first.
0: <laughs> it does seem to be the case. I mean, we we have gone to quite a few places in Norfolk and it's almost a certainty that we will have decided to go there because we'll have come across one of your articles and gone, oh, God, we've got to go and see that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. If we haven't, the first thing that happens when we try and research one place is we'll come, come across one of your articles. <laughs>
3: Yeah, there's, good. there's very little we haven't. I was about to say we we have plumbed all depths, um, but there are more to come. This is the thing: there is still so much more to look at. It's like it, it's, it's so oh, never ending. Our list is is still in the hundreds, isn't it? Shana? Yeah,
2: and and we haven't even tackled like the big stories, like Anne Boleyn. Um, she she, her ghost is meant to be seen, and her father's ghost is meant to be seen. You know, there's some really famous stories that we've not even tackled yet because we're like, well, everyone knows those ones and we're kind of about finding the small stories that are nearly forgotten.
1: Yes. And that's one of the things I really love bringing them
2: back to life because that's the whole thing with folklore and ghost stories is it's kind of like part of our heritage and it's really important to keep telling those stories.
1: Oh, I love that so much.
2: Yeah. So we kind of,
3: we almost, kind of put to one side the stories that you will have heard of mm-hmm. um you know having said that obviously we don't ignore kind of uh legends like black shark
0: um, we, we, we wouldn't dare
3: we wouldn't dare but um you know we kind of look at stories that haven't been told for decades if not centuries mm. and you know the stuff we found we've had a few recently you know unicorns in castle rising um that have never been in they've just been in some obscure kind of article that we've found while trawling the 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 web for all manner of strangers
2: the unicorn one was really interesting as well because we actually had um an email from a researcher who used to work at the cat he's like um Maybe an archaeologist or some kind of researcher, mm. and he's specialising in where all of where all the unicorn horns have been found. Obviously, they're narwhal horns, but yeah. <laughs> he never in this magic. Yeah,
1: <laughs> sorry, don't
3: ruin it.
2: <laughs> but he he'd never heard of these before, so now he's like on the hunt to find out where these unicorn. I felt horns, he
3: was testing us a little bit there, Shafira. You I, think? I, I feel he was testing that I actually had that reference, <laughs> and then he didn't just make it up. And then I literally thought I didn't have it, and uh, had a panic. But then I found it, so it's okay.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's why we end up referencing your article so much. And anybody that's listened to our show regularly will have heard of Weird Norfolk because we'll have referenced you. But you, you dig up the most interesting nuggets that nobody else has unearthed. That's what's so brilliant.
3: Oh, uh, brilliant! That's exactly what we try and do. And and everything we do, there is a source for. There is nothing is not because we're newspaper background and because that's our bread and butter and we have to be able to say it comes from here there's no kind of hearsay or us making anything up although we have more, been
2: accused of it
3: oh, oh no
2: we're like no this is something that's
3: happened yeah we don't just kind of think oh who haven't we done with should we just throw in a ufo um, it's all it's all from the either the the kind of the, the library, which is incredible for us. Isn't yeah. She? So
2: we have um, at our offices, we have a like a physical bound copy archive of newspapers oh. going back to the like late 1700s. Some of them. Oh, you oh, can see the goodness. look on
0: Lil's face now. Oh. Well, and you'll have to sort of have a look around.
2: I'll happily <laughs> yeah. show you around.
1: Oh, oh I would love to. I mean, any list, again, any listeners for our show know that we're exactly the same. I'm really precious
0: about my research. Oh, she's very precious. There are times <laughs> when she'll be up till sort of one, two o'clock in the morning, digging down a rabbit hole, trying to find some <laughs> reference from a newspaper in the 1700s for something <laughs> that she's come across somewhere else. This is
3: very relatable.
1: It yeah, is. Yes. Yeah, relevant. <laughs> yeah. So you guys don't just do the articles for the newspaper, though. You also have a podcast.
2: Yeah, so we, we started with doing the articles for the paper and it kind of became apparent over time that people were quite interested in what we were writing about and we were kind of nudged into doing a podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nudged, mm. I like that.
2: Um, but we, I mean, we talk about this, how you hear us on the podcast is how we have always talked with each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. so it wasn't that difficult really to transfer into doing a podcast because we just talk about weird stuff all the time anyway yeah it <laughs> yeah. would kind of
3: go over to our because we were in the same corner at work in our office um when in those halcyon days when we were in offices
2: <laughs> remember um, we them. were in the
3: crazy the crazy corner where we had our own weird norfolk shrine yeah you
2: know,
3: with kind of a gram's head and all manner of stuff <laughs> And um, we had to move it when royalty came to visit. The yeah, altar. we weren't.
2: It wasn't appropriate. <laughs> <apparently>. <laughs> it was us to have the uh, the, the black magic altar.
3: Um, but we we kind of we you know you would walk over and there'd be a discussion about what was more frightening: a monk-headed dog or a dog-headed monk. Which is a question we test people on to see if they are our people
1: oh awesome we we need to have that we need to have like a past question to see if there are people yeah. we're gonna to have to think it's quite, of one.
3: it's quite important and i know you i note that you've circumnavigated answering <laughs> which which is more frightening a monk headed dog or a dog headed monk i've got to say a monk headed dog
0: yeah i think i'm with you on that
2: that is
0: the correct answer. Oh, correct we've asked. Yeah, you know, the, you the can come through person. the Norfolk portal. <laughs> yeah, the dog-headed person just seems to that be... That sounds like something on TikTok, Yeah, not really, that, Well, it? that's like something from Star Trek or sci-fi or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, Having... it's
3: just something that can't think properly and can't run as fast, isn't it? But there's so... also
1: something inherently frightening about monk faces or monk's head. I mean, they crop up so much in ghost lore as well, like mm. floating monk's heads
0: and ugh. Well, I think there's so many monks seen just because people assume that they're a monk because they wear a cloak. And I think a lot of people would have worn cloaks, hooded cloaks, hooded cloaks yeah. previously. Yeah, that's, that's a really a good point. That's a lot of what that is.
2: I've never imagined that dog with a hood. Have you? I mean, no, he's always got like the little kind of round bit of hair. Bit.
1: How do you know? Yeah. Oh, I see, I was going to say, how do you know it's a monk then? Oh, right, I see a haircut. I'm with you. Yeah,
2: that's I always <laughs> associated with that. Anyway. We're getting sidetracked. Sorry. Down the rabbit hole. We
1: we love a good rabbit hole. It's all good. (laughs) We do love our rabbit holes. Well, the next question that we ask everybody that comes on the show, because it's got to be asked, is how did you get into the paranormal in the first place? What made you interested in the paranormal? Or did you have an experience that
2: got you interested? Do you want to go first on this one, Stacia? Because yours is more interesting than mine, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think... I think I probably, though,
3: speak for us both um, when I say that we've probably just always been weird. Yeah. um, You know, and and kind of born weird. Um, I mean, both of us sparked by books, TV, just being strange. It's an absolute joy for us that we kind of stumbled into each other, really, um, because I don't think anybody else could put up with the other ones fascination with this stuff Mm. we are literally you know I don't I don't think anybody else would have been as interested in the stuff we talk about as we are (laughs) because we will nail you know we will drill down to quite bizarre detail and I think I mean I I thought I saw something when I was very young which was really tediously a dancing miniature garden set um which was uh, moving at the bottom of my bed when i was about eight wow um that's kind of i mean you know as paranormal experiences go probably not the sexiest <laughs> i wouldn't think but, it's a, really, but a pretty interesting <laughs> you know. concept yeah well at least it's you know i mean normally people see a spirit or they you know mine is a miniature gardening set that i got for christmas that year that is far more interesting than a shadow figure dancing, i have to say like it was being held by small invisible things.
0: Cool. was that Disney film where all the
1: oh the, with the wizard and the dancing mops oh, um, and um,
3: Snow White with the cleaning product? Yeah, products. The, actually the quite a lot stone. of Disney films. It's the sword, yes. the, the sword
1: in the Stone. The Sword in the Stone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Don't, See, get that's what what
3: don't get me sort of on Disney. Sort tweaked
0: into my head just then when you said that you know the dance. I was like, yep, that's it. I, I started seeing all the mops moving. That I'm not yeah. going to do the music in case we got copyright struck. <laughs> but. Yeah,
3: well, mine was a miniature gardening set and. You know, just stuff like being absolutely fascinated with Halloween, being absolutely mm. fascinated with, you know, particular books. Same book, Shifra.
2: Yeah, we had, um, for me, it kind of started, I got given, I think, for Christmas on my birthday, a book called, I think it was called The Unexplained, and it was just mm-hmm. a massive
0: book. It is sitting behind Lil's head. It literally. Copy is. Right now. Oh, I I've is been
2: wanting so to get my hands <laughs> on a copy. I really need to, like, have a look on eBay for one.
0: I knew it was going to be one of two, and both of them are sat behind Lil on the on the windowsill.
1: Yeah, currently on display, we have the Unexplained and the Osborne Book of Ghosts, and it was likely oh, to be yeah. one of those I two because they are seminal title. books. I
2: did. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's it. I just remember being really fascinated by everything that was in it, like everything, even yep. the yep. UFOs at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But like, it was, it was just yeah i just thought it was really interesting I, I didn't have any like spooky experiences or anything like that when i was a child so it was more just reading those books and watching things like the x-files and obviously ghost watch that was it
1: ghost that was a moment yeah. oh yes we are yes we <laughs> we could talk for hours about ghost watch yeah, and we may have a, to at some point
2: yeah it's a really it's, interesting uh, one yeah don't trigger Schaefer. <laughs> There's a certain name we're not allowed to say. You're not allowed
1: scared. to say it. Ah, yeah. yes. I-, I, won't, I-, I won't jinx it.
2: <laughs> I I'll be good. say it. Just, yeah, just every <laughs> now and again, I'll get a message
3: saying it. <laughs> just saying that one word, that one, four, five letter word.
0: <laughs> How on earth do you deal with plumbers?
3: <laughs> oh,
1: I don't <laughs> So, we, well, I mean, we could relate to pretty much all of that. We were just sitting, mm-hmm. listening and, and nodding at each other, get, exchanging knowing looks, going, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we know. We're, <laughs> it's very relatable. So what yeah. about later on in life? Because, um, Shefri, you've been on some ghost investigations, I think, haven't you?
2: Yes. And you yeah. may have a
1: bit of an interesting story about one of them.
2: Yeah, well, this is why I feel like a bit of a fraud when it comes to the paranormal, because I don't think spirits want to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> So I know Stacia's had some really interesting experiences and a lot of people I know have had paranormal experiences, but whenever I've kind of put myself into positions where I may be more likely to have an experience, nothing, either nothing happens at all. Or there was one incident when we, I was on a paranormal investigation in Norwich Castle Mall, which is now Norwich Castle Quarter, mm. which is kind of, um, it's really interesting actually because it's built kind of into the castle mound kind of underneath it oh cool and and um, so it's underneath what used to be the old cattle market so it's it's an area that's like they found skeletons yeah. and they were building it didn't oh they? no that was well, um, that was Chapelfield. they found but they also field.
3: found them at castle oh. Mound because that was how i got into into my job because i had to write a story oh, about okay it. So there
2: were skeletons are all
3: our mouths
2: yeah uh, and <laughs> um, so anyway so it's 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 a really interesting historical place and it's actually when a, being an, in an empty mall is actually quite spooky. Yeah, <laughs> as it I is. can
1: imagine it is actually.
2: Um, and we were in an empty unit, and we were doing kind of a bit of a seance. You know the thing I can't remember what it's called when you put a glass on the table, and it's like you write yes and no spirit board. I think. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not quite a Ouija board because it's not mm. as detailed, but it's just yes and no in a glass. Mm. Anyway, every time I had my finger on the glass, it kept moving away, so I couldn't reach it anymore. <laughs> and my finger kept coming off. So the person who was leading the the seance asked the spirit if they wanted me to leave and it went straight to yes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs>
3: okay. Dude, you
1: were literally booted out of a seance by a ghost.
3: <laughs> Dist. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's funny it you should a- say that because we were doing something at home the other night. We were and- doing a bit of a paranormal experiment. And uh, basically, I'm not going to go into detail, but it involves a radio and um, the second, like Lil was helping me sort of get adjusted and getting me a cushion and things, and the second the radio touched her hand, it all just went dead yep. and quiet and stopped. <laughs> I just, I killed it. I
1: just <laughs> completely killed it, which isn't normal for me actually. Usually we're sort of ghost magnets, aren't we? But mm-hmm. I, just, I was blocking something that day.
2: It's very frustrating because I would like to be a ghost magnet. You know, I am because I'm so interested, it's like I would love to see something. Yeah. But maybe I'm just really off-putting to them because I want to so much. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Too needy. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's such a shame for you though. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Never mind.
1: So what about Stacia? Have you you've I think you've um, possibly had some uh, experiences not, yourself?
3: Not, not hugely. Um, I had I had one quite recently when I was staying in a hotel. And there was a huge amount of noise above me at about five o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was staying with two people who had made a bit of a fuss um, the night night before and had kind of been arguing outside. And I assumed that the 5am wake up call was kind of a bit of retaliation. Mm. So um, I didn't say anything because I thought, well, fair enough, frankly. And when I went to check out the next morning, the lady said to me, I hope you had a really nice night's sleep. And I said, well, I didn't, but nothing to do with your marvellous bed. Yeah. <laughs> I, said there was, um, I said, I don't know who was above me, uh, but they were, they were certainly not very happy and they were kind of like moving stuff across the floor and pulling out. It sounded like they were pulling out drawers and etc." And she said, there was nobody above you. She literally showed me her arm And the hairs had gone up And she said I can't tell you how much This this happens for that room And she said that There's something Not in that room Well possibly in that room But above it So it's like a three storey And the thing That lives there Is in the 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 very top room But often The activity Is in the room Kind of sandwiched in between That's really interesting It was incredibly loud It was And I didn't Think of it for a second, that it would be anything other than, you know, some irate people kind of <laughs> making their point to those below who may have kept them up too long, uh, which it might still have been, I guess. It might have been, you know, a, a spirit uh, pointing that out. But yeah. yeah, that was the most recent one. And, and other than that, not a huge amount, but that that was probably the most really obvious physical manifestation that i've ever kind of and, and and had no idea at the time how irritating is that could have recorded it could have, it, yeah. could have <laughs> yeah. gone outside could have, it was in our time of podcasting you know could have done loads oh. i think i phoned you up sheep which is not yeah you. yeah late, really isn't it then um and the hotel doesn't want to do anything about <sighs> oh, that.
0: because that was i was yeah. literally going to be I, like oh we need to investigate this place
3: i kind <laughs> of get that you know i kind of understand that some hotels make a thing of it um, I think if you basically say we've got three rooms involved, then, you know, maybe not. It's really interesting you should say that about the three rooms,
1: though. Um, some Last year, I think, we interviewed um, Haunt Me, the Haunt Me team from a TV web series. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things they'd done on their investigations was actually they'd got um, a plan of the building they were investigating, and it was a, over several stories, and they got a, a floor plan for each floor. And they marked down on the floor plan where each of the um hotspots of activity were. And when they lined them all up, they realized that all of the hotspots were in a column. They were oh. all rooms one above the other, above the other. And it all went up in like a in in different stories in the same spot, which is really interesting. Mm. Wow. Yeah. It,
3: it was, it was really it was really strange, but in retrospect, which is just quite irritating, really, isn't it? You know, I kind of think, you know, you, we we spend a lot of time saying, wouldn't it be interesting if we heard something, saw something? And then when it actually happens, oh, uh, yeah. you know, I was just quite annoyed that I couldn't get to sleep. And also the room was freezing and I assumed oh. that I had inadvertently put on the air conditioning. And I also said to this lady, you know, I have no idea. I couldn't find the air conditioning to turn it off. It was freezing in there. Mm. And she kind of pointed out there wasn't any in that part of the. It was, I mean, absolutely freezing to the point I think I had to have about three or four different quilts on top of me that cold.
0: Oh, blimey.
3: And it was mid May.
1: This is the thing, though. This is what we always say. Like, we think a lot of people have paranormal experiences and just don't realise mm-hmm. because the amount of times we've had a paranormal experience, and if, unless something else had happened later, you would never know that anything was amiss. You just hmm. don't realize at the time it's like you. You just assume it's the people above you. If you hadn't have said anything to the person at the, yeah. to the staff, then you would never know.
3: Yeah, she literally kind of immediately showed me her arm and just looked <sighs> at the hairs on my arm. And she said, "I, we've had this so many times." You know, I think that thing identity. about um,
2: having paranormal experiences and not even knowing. I think that's a really interesting thing because I think we've, me and Stacia have talked about before how many times might have you walked past a ghost but because mm-hmm. they're not in like Victorian clothing or like mm-hmm. a monk or something it could just be someone who looks normal, normal. in like you yep. know like a tracksuit or something and you wouldn't even clock that you'd had an experience
1: no in hmm. fact Fitz one of your experiences was um very similar you he saw somebody standing at the side of the road and it's only because we, we wouldn't think anything about that at all except I think there was something a little bit off about the colour, if I remember correctly. But it was only because you then turned back to look and there was nobody there, nobody anywhere mm-hmm. to be seen. And this was sort of like three o'clock in the morning or mm-hmm. something. It was a yeah. real early hours in the morning. But if you'd have just driven straight ahead and had no reason to turn around and look behind you, you wouldn't have thought anything I about that.
0: It wouldn't have even crossed my mind. <laughs> no.
3: I think in, in places like Japan, uh, where ghosts are far more accepted, then there is a belief that they pass amongst the living mm. in the day and, you know, particularly things like hungry ghosts, mm. um, that, that they won't kind of become their true ghost form until the evening and during the day. They they are just, you know, among us. So I think our idea that they're clanking chains and, and you know, kind of, I mean, this, y- you wouldn't think that... Uh, I don't know. in In a normal ghost story, they're not opening kind of wardrobes and drawers and dragging what sounded like a wheeled suitcase across the (laughs) across the floor. You know, again, everything ever has has ever happened to me is so mundane. You know, it's almost like if I saw if I actually saw a ghost face to face, they'd probably be I don't know writing a to do list. Or (laughs) uh, that's kind of the level of my. uh, I think they
1: often are, though. Mm -hmm. This is the thing, and um, I remember like. I grew up very much like you with the books. We didn't have the ghost hunting TV shows over here until I was much much older because I'm that old. But I remember being really confused when I fir- when we first did start getting the um sort of ghost hunting TV shows from America. I was really confused that they were all running around in the dark and I was like why are they running around in the dark? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cuz all my experiences had been during the day and it's not something that had really cropped up in like all the books of ghosts and things like that it was never a case of well that you only go and look for them at night you know most sightings that were recorded in these books did happen during the day so i was like why are
3: they they running around in the dark (laughs) Mm. yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it i mean i think i think we always keep an open mind at all times about anything and that's i think why our our kind of work works because people come to us and tell us their stories and we don't kind of judge whether they're telling the truth and we don't really add an opinion we just Mm. kind of report what as I said again that newspaper background of you know somebody comes to you you interview them and then we present that story as they tell us yeah and you know we I don't think any of our our own experiences have been we haven't recorded them have we Schaefer there's nothing we have done because we are not the news, and that's how news is we are we are not the news, we report the news, we don't make it,
1: yeah, no, we totally understand that, so um, we've talked a little bit about how you like digging out the most interesting nuggets, but for our listeners who may not know Norfolk very well, what are some of Norfolk's claims to fame
2: well, in I, terms of haunting I think <laughs> our biggest claim to fame is famous is Black Shuck, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, so I think black like, Shook is like such a well-known kind of folk tale across the world. And he's ours. Yes, he's
1: <laughs> ours. <laughs> All yours. And a
2: little bit of Suffolk, but we don't mention that. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's mainly You actually
1: have seemed to have quite a lot of cryptids in Norfolk, but a surprising amount of cryptids compared to any other county that I know yeah, of. Yeah, and
2: do you know what? I didn't actually realise that until we started doing Weird Norfolk. So I'd, I'd heard of Black Shook. And I moved to Norfolk, I think, when I was about fourteen. And at that time, mm. there was quite a lot of sightings of the Norfolk puma.
3: Mm. Oh. Or puma.
2: If you're actually from Norfolk. Puma. <laughs> puma. And and but then once we started doing weird Norfolk, more and more kind of came out. Um, mm. And it's it's quite strange, really. You wouldn't for, for such a, I guess, a small county, mm-hmm. we have an awful lot.
1: You do. You have a lot crammed in. You've got hikey sprites and, oh. and wood woes and, I and <laughs> Norfolk, <think Bains>. Bigfoot. <laughs> Norfolk Bigfoot and things I can't even remember the names of.
2: It's really interesting. I think a lot of these stories are kind of linked together. So, like the folkloric elements of like the wood woes and Black Shook are kind of intertwined now with more modern mm. day sightings. So, the wood woes, I think, is intertwined with sightings of the Setford Bigfoot. Mm. Um, and obviously, Black Shuck, I think that's kind of morphed into the the Norfolk Puma. Um, mm. Very interesting. I love it.
1: Yeah, we only just um, heard about the Thetford Bigfoot in the last sort of six months. <gasps>
2: yeah, the Beast of the A1075. <laughs> yeah, the Beast of the A1075 is one of my favourite ever yeah. weirds that we've done. Yeah, it's just. We, the, we I
3: think we had an article in the face about us. Yeah. About the, Did you? <laughs> 1075, yeah. didn't we? He has yeah. brought
0: us international acclaim. <laughs> it's, the, it's the only problem with Britain is that we have terrible road names. You know, yeah, that's America, so interesting. Like, you know, you've got Sunset Boulevard and you know, this, that, and the other, Route 69, and yeah. what do we have? The, the B74937. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't, <laughs> have doesn't have the same, same ring to, to it. It. <laughs> no, it. No, it doesn't.
3: It's, uh, somehow, though, I can't. I, Every time I pass any sign of the A1075, and obviously it's quite a long road, Mm. and you can approach it from both ends. And every time I'm kind of on the lookout for this kind Mm. of thing that lurks there.
2: Well, the the interesting with so that sighting, the story behind that one was there was a report that came in, although we didn't have it in the paper, did we? It was we found it on the paranormal database, which is a fantastic website. And you probably Oh, yeah, and local. He's based in Suffolk. Oh, is he
1: really? Oh, yeah. No, I, I know the, I know the place. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so there was a, a driver one night heading down the A1075, and out the corner of their eye, they saw what looks almost like a wolf, mm. or, of some description. And they were like, "Oh, that's a, that's a bit weird." So they turned back round to have another look, and they saw that this like big shaggy dog-looking creature was dragging something oh. into the forest. Ooh. And they thought, oh. <laughs> and then they turned back round to go back the way they had originally come. When they went back past it the third time, the creature then stood up on its hind leg.
1: <gasps> oh. <gasps> oh. It's
2: so about eight foot tall, isn't it? Yeah. So this eight foot tall, like shaggy... I see they described it more wolf-like which makes me think more maybe more it's relating to black shook than mm. had like a long snout didn't a long snout and there was another sighting several years later in the same area
1: oh that's and very interesting it was a
2: really similar description but the the hair on the creature was a lot grayer mm-hmm. so it makes you think it may have been like the same creature but oh, obviously that's, older, that's got older. Just,
0: oh.
2: oh wow we did go and investigate there. That's actually one of the places we decided to go because it's quite a remote patch of Thetford Forest. Mm. It's not really part of the main area, and, and and we did see some strange stuff there, didn't we? We did. Thetford Forest is is
3: one of the biggest lowland forests in the UK, so it's absolutely huge. Mm. It was planted kind of after the war, and you know it's it's useful in some places and and slightly less beautiful in others. This is this is one of the less picturesque parts I think it's best to say yeah um, it's not that pretty you no know, uh and we we wandered in didn't we with photographers and videographers um and kind of and then later the face we wandered in with yeah and we kind of were looking for all the the checklist for uh Bigfoot so we kind of were looking for drag marks looking for mm structures structures that's the yeah, word yeah. Um, and which basically and it's really difficult because there's a British Bigfoot society and they often see structures where you you and I possibly might just see bits. a den of them.
1: yeah
3: um and and so yeah and I, did we take some watsits because they're supposed to like cheese
2: we didn't take No. is that what you used to,
3: to bait British Bigfoot is it?
2: apparently okay he's also got a massively bad bo but when we were there like all joking and like like we did we saw drag marks yeah Mm. we saw some they were bits of wood but they looked like they had been placed
1: deliberately yeah
2: and we did smell a really weird smell it was like really odd smell okay Mm. and it was quite unnerving
1: it's the drag marks I read about in the article when we were last up at um, Thetford, uh, Warren Lodge, actually, and we were mm. first came across these um, stories. The drag marks thing, there's nothing really in UK forests that would be dragging like a deer off into the woods. Like, I can't think no. of anything no. apart from There's nothing people.
3: big enough, is there? No. No. Right. When we spoke to an expert, a, a, a Bigfoot expert in the UK, she kind of said, or Deborah said that, you would be most likely to see this kind of creature by the side of a road because obviously really? there's roadkill, isn't there? So it's it's easy yeah, to yeah. yeah it's a bit like going to a supermarket, isn't it? Easy Just pop by and see what, the, what a 4 by 4 What's on lorry yeah. <laughs> has run over and then drag it off. So, it, yeah, she said, although you might think that creatures might be, you know, wise enough to stay out of the way, in fact it's A bit like us, you know, we're not off mostly, we're not off hunting and gathering and foraging, we just go to the supermarket. <laughs> the I do need to
0: say for our American listeners, if you don't know what what's are, they're like cheese <laughs> puffs, they're kind of yes. puffed, yes, sort corn, of corn,
3: um, puffed
1: corn snacks, are they? Yeah, made, made covered in, in cheesy powder, yeah, they are. I quite. just
0: can't believe that he's not more interested in monster munch. I know oh, <laughs> it,
3: it
2: would make more
3: sense. sense doesn't doesn't it? Ch- yeah, <laughs> Had to get that you in. know,
1: it's cheese. <laughs> but to be fair, if there were if there were going to be British big for anywhere, I would say Thetford Forest is a good bet. I mean, it yeah. is it is really atmospheric place. The whole of Breckland, I think, is yeah. really atmospheric and a little bit I don't know, just a little bit mysterious somehow. It's a really ancient place, isn't it, with the uh, flint mines and yeah. it's just some there is Grimes, something about it. And it
3: is one of the pingo gr- yeah. holes. And I love the pingo. Yeah,
2: and that that thing that obviously we have the tales of the woodwows, which tie in, and the woodwows. I don't know if h- how familiar people are with the woodwows. Probably
1: not at all, because I'm
2: not.
3: They're
1: basically,
2: <sighs> if you so they, they they often appear in churches on the fonts above doorways, particularly are, in East Anglia,
3: not anywhere else really. Okay, oh, like. yeah,
2: so, so, so this is like a more specific kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they are exactly as you would describe a Bigfoot.
1: Yeah. Uh oh. like, you know, if you
2: see a picture of a, a Bigfoot in modern, you know, in the cinema or whatever, it's exactly a Woodwow. Oh, I see. So we have this like really old, like medieval depiction, depiction of a Bigfoot and yet we're still getting modern.
1: So what reports. sort of dates are those carvings from that are found of the Woodwows in the churches then?
2: That, well, they, they were when the churches are built. Most I think weren't they stacia? Yeah, so
3: kind like of. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. And they they are very specific to our our area, kind of, and North Suffolk. So mm-hmm. there's some amazing bits of work done. If you Google woodwows, um, some very clever people have done a lot on them, including us, maybe <laughs> more, excluding us. <laughs> um, the, and, and kind of ch- made maps of where, where they were. And there's stories about the wild man of Orford who's in Suffolk, who was found in the sea and dragged in a fisherman's net and kept in the castle. And the Orford church has pictures of, of a wild man on their font. Oh, wow.
2: um,
3: we have a wood woes woman in Norfolk on a Which font. Which is very rare. Yeah, in Ingham, at Ingham church. And, and they are kind of, you know they're kind of wild men of the woods. They have clubs. They were said covered to, in hair. They were said to eat children when they show Yeah. <laughs> so you know they, you can see where that whole creatures living in the forest came from. And, oh, definitely, yeah. And you know why would you come? Why would you have that on a Christian font?
0: Yeah, it, that is a bit weird. Mm. Yeah, because I was going to say that the. the this sort of stealing children reminded me of some things we'd come across in Norse mythology around Christmas time. Mm. Um, I can't remember like the, the names. Of
1: it now. Bit like that, yeah.
0: Yeah, there was a like a, a witch woman, like a witch troll or something, with <laughs> her. Oh, G- um,
1: oh, what was her name? It's always was Fana, Fana, Grilla. it Grilla? Grilla. She was called Grilla, and
0: not Gorilla. Had... Grilla. And she had like eight sons or something, and they would steal down from the mountains and take children away for her skew.
3: You wouldn't want any more children if you had eight, would you? Well, she wanted
1: to put them well, in a stew. To though. So. She
3: just wanted to buy them a flat, all of them, so they'd just fattening go and leave. Home. Fattening herself up for the winter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the other uh, famous Norfolk case that I only discovered through listening to your podcast was the Skull Experiment. And I didn't realise that this was a really big, well-known paranormal experiment.
2: Yeah, I actually stumbled. I was actually on holiday in America. And um, when I'm on holiday in America, one of my favourite things to do is, like, choose one of the really random channels. Yeah. And I'll just watch (laughs) it all night. (laughs) And it was a channel that had, like, paranormal... Like, it was just a I I can't even remember what show it was, but it was just talking about different paranormal events and things. And it said, oh, they started talking about the skull experiment. And I was like, oh, there's a place in Norfolk called (laughs) Oh. And then I Googled it and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's our Yeah. (laughs) And it was fascinating. So in the 1990s, this um, group of people, it was um, Sandra and Robin Foy and Diana and Alan Bennett. So I think the Foy's were like the more scientific side and Hmm. the Bennett's were mediums. And they basically wanted to prove get scientific evidence um, of life after death, mm-hmm. and it was it was a really fascinating project. And I think they worked on it for about four years, four they, or five years. They were in the cellar, weren't they? They called it the Skull Hole. Yeah, the Skull
1: <laughs> Hole. Yeah, wasn't it just like a, a farmhouse or something that we used? Yeah, yeah,
2: it was behind the pub that's it, or the yeah. inn that's in the of village. Those so the most brilliant it pictures. Was. It just looks
3: like kind of some some middle aged Neighbors having a, a kind of dinner party,
0: kind
3: of, yeah, doesn't it? But then you realize that actually they're trying to contact the dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is that wrong with that?
1: No, exactly.
3: Sometimes it feels <laughs> like that at a dinner party, doesn't it? If you're stuck like, to yeah. someone really dull, it feels <laughs> like fair. you're trying to contact the dead, but they actually were.
2: But they they did have like some that. So the um, the SPR, which is oh, psychological
1: research. We know them well.
2: What is the SPR Society That's for Psychical
1: Church? That's psychical the one.
2: <laughs> I it's the word psychical. Psychical. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> of a mouthful, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they went along and observed a lot of their mm-hmm. experiments, and and the SPR published um, a paper in 1999, kind of their report on it. And actually, they were very complimentary. Oh, really? And and were like, you know, they've they've done, they've been as scientific as they can, and. Mm. they've got some interesting results but then obviously you also got people who were very skeptical because these all of the experiments were performed in the dark Mm -hmm. and things would apparate out of nowhere but it was pitch black so you couldn't actually see where they came from so it was it's a really interesting one because half like for me half of me is like well they did get some really interesting results but the other half was like they didn't really do themselves any favors because they no. didn't really document it in a good scientific fashion
1: no but when what year was it that they did these 1994 so,
2: wasn't it yeah, yeah 93 and they published their i think they published their paper their report in 2000 or 99. 1999 and actually as the eastern daily press we actually sent a reporter and a photographer to talk to them so we did have you? like these no. original photos by one of our oh. friends She went into the skull hole and she spoke to them. And we've got pictures of some of the items that is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. that is the right word. Pretty sure. Yeah. So it was, you know, and some of these items are actually quite large. (laughs) You're thinking, how did these manifest from nowhere? Uh, It's it is, it was really interesting and and I think quite an underrated case as well. I don't think many people know about it.
1: No, like I said, the first time I heard of it was um, through your podcast. And then I look, when I looked online, I realised that it was actually a really well-known thing. And like you say, the Society of Psychical Research were involved and it's really kind of documented. There were a lot of reporters that went in because they weren't trying to hide, mm. you know, what they were, they were trying. Mm. The point was they were trying to um, get proof and they wanted people to sort of be aware of what they were doing. So, no, it's a
2: really interesting case. How, how did you feel about it? Did you feel, did you feel the, that it I'm was... I'm the same
1: with you as you. I'm like, I'm fascinated because they did get some really interesting stuff going on. And after I listened to your podcast, I went and found quite a lot of stuff online that I printed off and <laughs> started to read because I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting. And the Society of Psychical Research people were, like you say, they were they were kind of going, going with the flow. They were like, yep, yeah, this is cool. They're doing what they can. But as you say you know, looking into it further, some of the things that they came up with, they could be replicated. That doesn't mean they were replicated. Yeah. But they could be. And as you say, they didn't do themselves any favours because they insisted on the experiments being done in the dark and only certain people would to handle certain things. And I wish, I wish that it would be done again today with more rigorous sort of yeah,
2: controls in like, place. Yeah, oh, another one, didn't they, in 2006 or... Six. Yeah, 2006. Um, I think Did I they? think the boys left. Yeah, left the group, and it was the Bennetts continued the research. Mm. But I don't know if they're still doing it now. But I mean, technology has moved on so far now, hasn't it? Like, yeah. you could easily have like night vision cameras in there and really yeah. high. Yeah, so it could still be done in the dark. And, yeah. It'd
1: be really interesting to do. Mm. Yeah, I hope. I hope somebody in the future does like pick up the reins, as it were, mm. and start start again. You know, do it again yeah. with the technology yeah. that we have now. I'd be. Maybe we should do it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we can give it a try. Well, we, we've started doing our own sort of little experiments at home and sort of on locations that we're lucky enough to be invited to. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we're definitely not of the standard of being able to get fancy night vision equipment and stuff yet. No. But yeah, I mean, hopefully one day um, we could. We'll and... have to
1: encourage some people with night vision cameras to pick up the reins on skull Experiment. Indeed, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure we know somebody. We must do. Some. We <laughs> must know somebody that, can, that will have a crack at it.
0: We'll make a few calls.
1: <laughs> so, having gone over some of Norfolk's claims to fame, what are some of your favourite interesting little nuggets that you've dug up that basically nobody's ever heard of
3: oh that's a good one it's a, it's a little bit like sophie's choice isn't it if you substitute yeah. folklore for children but, but there are <laughs> God, I, I mean ours, ours would be the same wouldn't they shoot they would be the same so it would be yeah. it would be the the cursed goat's head of strump oh
2: yeah, oh, that was just head.
3: an incredible story, which is um, a...
2: It's quite a long
3: story, so we'll keep it short. I'll try and keep it super <laughs> short,
2: but yeah, it was... Um,
3: it sounds like a horror movie and it really should be. There was a goat that visited a pub in about 1906, wasn't it? Yes. Um, right. Landlord takes <laughs> okay. a fancy to it, so buys it, then kills it, as you do, stuffs its head, mounts it behind the bar... And it kind of stays there without incident until about the 60s. And then the a landlord decides to get rid of it um, because a young man touches it and then dies in a car crash the next day. Oh no. Yeah. Um, he removes it, but the paranormal activity then ups to a massive it just
2: yeah, it gets out of control. Uh, out of control. Doesn't it? Yeah. Um he
3: he literally decides to just chuck it in the river. So he chucks the head <laughs> in the river. And, uh, but it didn't want to stay put. And so it's found by a local. Uh, they gave it to a farmer. The farmer's son decides to open his own Museum of the Macabre. That lasts about a week because what happened there, Sheepa? His, um, his nan no some had of their, nosebleeds.
2: Yeah, their nan got really ill having nosebleeds and things. And the animals all started acting really strangely. One died, didn't it? One died because at the at the pub, didn't they? They had a pet monkey that died yes. really weirdly. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's it's all very odd. Yeah, and and it
3: and basically this this goat's head. Every time they tried to get rid of it, they buried it, they threw it in water, they did all sorts, and it would come back.
2: Oh you know, wow, that's coming proper back.
3: horror movie
0: fodder. And kind
2: of bad stuff happened every time yeah. it came back. Yeah. And and we That's don't know where the rain now. stuff, that is. Literally. Does
0: anybody know where Mount Doom is in Norfolk? <laughs> chuck it in. <laughs> yeah.
3: So it, yeah, so, so that one is an absolute Norfolk classic and definitely worth looking up if you want the even famous. just for the pictures. The pictures.
1: pictures are amazing. Yeah. Oh, that are there actually pictures yes. of the curse? Yeah, basically? so
2: that was something that we reported on in the EDP back in the 70s, I think yeah. we did it. Um, oh. and so we have these amazing pictures of this bedraggled sorry <laughs> looking goat's head yeah it's, is it still in existence we don't know
1: oh we don't know
2: no it, it's vanished so i think another one might one of my personal favorites and again it's probably one of stages is um the fanes mm-hmm. and oh, the fanes are one of those stories that was like nearly lost and we just stumbled across it and the fanes um are at Heatherset, which is just on the outskirts. Would you say it's just on the outskirts of Norwich? Yeah, just outside Norwich, which is the principal city
3: of Norfolk.
2: And they're basically a a version of Black Shook. So Black Mm -hmm. Shook has many names and many forms, and the Fanes is a really specific name for Shook. We think Shook in this area. Um, and, And it's a classic story of people walking down a road and they look to their left or right and there's a massive black dog just padding along next to them and then they look again and it's disappeared so we found that story shared it really liked it then um, I think maybe a year or so later we had an email from someone who said oh I've just come across your story of the fanes i've seen them
1: Mm. oh what
2: (laughs) so then we had this so this story that had been documented in probably the early 1900s maybe yeah and and then we had like a a contemporary eyewitness who'd seen them when he was a you know like a maybe like a teenager and he was walking down oh no he's on his bike and he looked to his right and there was a huge rough coated dog padding along beside him. He couldn't see its head, which is quite interesting in shook stories. Oh, okay. um, it made no sound and then it just vanished. And it's it was just <gasps> felt so special because we'd found this story that had nearly disappeared and then we mm-hmm. had like contemporary eyewitnesses. It was yeah. great.
1: That is bananas. But, do you know, what? we continue to be blown away by how many contemporary reports there actually are mm-hmm. of things that we just thought were legends and, you know, were, were from the past, didn't exist in the present. And like you say, well, then you get people coming forward and going, no, no, I've seen, you know, this is, I have a contemporary sighting. You know, it's happened in your lifetime. It just it blows us away It's, every it's quite time.
2: exciting, isn't it, when you get it's someone saying, really oh, I've exciting. Seen this. <laughs> and I didn't know
1: what it was called. Amazing. Um. The other question I had was, like, you, much as we do, do sometimes visit um, the places that you talk about on your show. So what's your favourite place that you've visited? Of all the haunted places that you've visited, what's your favourite or what's the most spookiest or has the best atmosphere or the best stories, perhaps?
2: So I really like, we haven't been to it together, but I like Castle Rising, Mm-hmm. Oh, we
1: love Castle Rising.
2: Yeah, it's just I don't know. There's just something about it, and I visited there before I knew about the ghost stories of Queen Isabella, who's like mm-hmm. she wolf. Was she the she wolf? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that place is just so atmospheric, mm-hmm. and I think because it's a proper castle as well, yeah. <laughs> you can actually go in it. Yeah, um, I, I just really liked it. That was one of my favourite places for sure, but not particularly. I didn't find it particularly spooky.
1: Just, it's just a really good one
2: interesting there are so
3: many contenders
2: i mean so many I,
3: I really love yarmouth i think you've been there recently
1: well we're going to talk about that in a little bit so yes well next in fact
3: yeah so, <laughs> so great yarmouth is is fantastic it is it is kind of i think i found a quote about it and, and charles dickens called it the strangest town in the wide world Really, that's that's amazing. Uh, There's so much (laughs) going on in Yarmouth and near Yarmouth. um, You've got the witch trials of Matthew Hopkins, you've got hauntings at the toll house there, which is now a museum, which was housed witches. Um, The witches are buried in unmarked graves at the Minster. Um, Time slip in a great Yarmouth shop. Uh, yes, I forgot about that one. When Mr. Squirrel popped in in 1973 and found himself in the Victorian times. Um, I mean, the list at Yarmouth is, is immense. You've got two of the Salem witch trial victims from Yarmouth ufos in hopton the disappearing old man across the oh and the in haunted hopton. caravan the haunted caravan yeah,
1: yeah i was going to specifically ask you about the haunted oh, caravan okay. because, yeah the haunted because, caravan um,
3: is incredible it's it's in yeah. a holiday park and it's it was one caravan that was that kind of had this paranormal entity in it and forced a family out my favorite part about the whole thing is they sent it to holland to go to a, a park there what, the ca- they sent the Caravan Caravan, not the family that would have been a bonus <laughs> they said no you can pop over to holland though and um, no they i don't even know because obviously great yarmouth is on the east coast and if mm-hmm. in in the ye olden days when the land was won a mass um in europe you'd have just walked over to holland and so i it kind of had uh, this idea that they kind of just put a little Motor on it and just sent it across. (laughs) 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 Sent it off across the sea. (laughs) But yeah, that's another of Yarmouth's many joys. Shuck is all over Yarmouth. There are ghosts in the theatre. There are plague skeletons under (gasps) the fire station. Oh, and the haunted. Oh, was it a haunted police station? Fire station wasn't. Oh, it's fire station. Fire station. Yeah, with monks and 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 old women carrying candles and. I mean, it's just, and it's not that big. Only, I mean, I think only 23,000 people live there. And yet probably most, you know, if you use the paranormal uh, kind of population, it would probably be doubled. <laughs> so there, uh, and it's near the East Somerton, which, so yeah, brilliant. I think this is where we ran into problems
1: because we went to Borough Castle mm. And thought, well, we'll just swing by Great Yarmouth on the way home,
0: <laughs> thinking
1: there wasn't going to be much no, there yeah. to look at. Because we just had a quick look through the books, you know, like, oh, it's on the way, you know, we can go that way home, we'll pop in. And we had a look around the Minster because that's where, you know, the, the bulk of the, the ghost stories, mm. our quick search um, we'd looked up were. And then we got home and started digging into Great Yarmouth and there was just so mm-hmm. much stuff we'd it's- missed. A whole world of paranormal it, it's stuff. Off
3: the scale. I mean, we and we have so many of those towns like that in Norfolk. We have Kings Lynn, which is also absolutely packed.
2: Yeah, up. Kings Lynn is really really good. Yeah. yeah. I Brilliant.
3: mean, okay. it, you know, it's not like we have one place that's that's kind of a magnet. We have many, and and Yarmouth is is a great one. And you can also get donuts and ice cream and chips. Well, <laughs>
0: donuts ice cream and chips
3: all things that
1: make for a good day out (laughs) you've got to have you've got to have chips at least when you go to the seaside otherwise it's not a day at the seaside Chips
3: when you look for shuck, absolutely Uh, what
0: is it do you think about norfolk that means that it has so many of these like ghosts and cryptids and things like you were we were saying earlier it's so jam-packed full of them like is it in the water what's going on it's
2: it's really because I, I asked a similar question myself to a guy called Ivan Bunn, who is based in Lower Stuff, And he was part of a group um who put out in the in the 70s and 80s put out a newsletter called Lantern. And it's yep. basically like the 14 times before the 14 times.
1: <laughs> oh, we, we just discovered that last oh episode. God, it's amazing. Oh, and, we're, yeah. we're just and I was like, in love.
2: <laughs> how is like Lower Stuff so haunted? Mm. And he was like because we look for the stories. Yeah. And I think that's partly what it is here, mm. is as a county, we're really aware of our folklore because we're proud of it. Mm. Yeah. And our ghost stories. So we're just, we look for it. I th- and I think all counties probably have Loads of stories, but they're maybe just not so as like engaged in looking for them. Yeah, that's my yeah. theory anyway. So we we know. have this
3: kind of really rich farming, fishing, river, and seafaring history, and all of those are always interlinked with folklore. And the landscape mm-hmm. is is kind of is ready for tales. You know, we've got these glacial erratics left by the last ice, ice age that needed to be explained somehow. We've got crumbling coasts that that kind of mean that there are sunken villages. We've got forests where there are these hidden beasts. You know, our folklore kind of reflects a real respect and fear for the power of nature, you know.
2: Uh, And 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 I suppose they were like storytelling communities as well, weren't they? Yeah, they didn't get broadband for ages.
3: (laughs) You kind of had to do something, didn't you? You had to sit around and, and share the tales. But yeah, I think Chief is right. Is we look for it, or others look for it. We have an unbelievable number of incredible folklorists who, before us and at the same time as us, have been recording this stuff. You know, we are able to access books, uh, articles that, that have been written for centuries about our mm-hmm. folklore. And they are incredible and they are filled with the kind of stories that we write about and podcast about every week.
1: Yeah, I think you've got some such good points there, some really good points there. Um, it's, it may be that in other counties the stories were there, but they've just been lost, mm. which is why what you two do is so important because, you know, you're preserving that for generations to come. And as long as enough generations continue to do that, then you won't lose the
3: stories. I really hope that's the case because, you know, although we do it selfishly because we love it and because (laughs) it's fascinating, I think you kind of hope that one day people will be speaking about, not necessarily us, but the stories we we kept alive in the same reverential terms we are talking about other folklorists because unless you do share these stories, unless you do keep talking about it, they will go and we will lose them forever. And that would be that would be horrendous, wouldn't it? Awful to lose those stories that have made us who we are here in Norfolk.
0: I have no doubt in 150 years' time, there's going to be some person with an interest in the spooky going, look, look, I found this article from 2014. <laughs> it's on the internet, remember that. <laughs> and we will be trying to come
3: through to them somehow. And uh, the kind of oh, no, yeah, no, we are really cool, you're right.
1: Well, I hope we'll have come up with something even better than the spirit box in 150 years' time. But that does feel like a really nice note to end on with the idea of preserving these folklore and legends for generations to come. We absolutely could keep you here talking all evening because it's been fascinating. It's been so brilliant talking to you, but we can't. You do have lives, so we will let you go now back into the wildy weirdness of Norfolk. But before you go, if you can tell our listeners how they find Weird Norfolk.
2: Okay, so um, if you—it's really difficult actually because we don't actually have a website because <laughs> <laughs> we appear on the um, the website for the Eastern Daily Press. So mm-hmm. if you search Weird Norfolk and EDP24, you'll find us no trouble.
1: Yeah, to be <laughs> fair, kind of I beast. just type Weird Norfolk into Google and it comes up. So.
2: <laughs> um, and then you can find us on Instagram, at Weird Norfolk. And our podcast is called Weird Norfolk, and it's on all of the major podcasting websites. Can you tell we're very technical? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. We'll we'll put links to all of those in the show notes on the website. So if any of the listeners want to check you out, you can just head over to our website <laughs> and click on the link, and they'll take you straight there. And as we well. highly
1: recommend you do. We do. Thank you so much, ladies. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you.
3: Bye. Bye.
0: And that, I'm afraid, is all we have time for this episode. Thank you to everyone that shared their story this episode. And don't forget that if you've got a story to share, please do get in touch through our website at knockwonsvs.com. We are always in need of your true paranormal experiences, and we're looking particularly for stories of people being contacted by someone that's passed through telephones, radios and televisions at the moment, So if you've got a story that fits the bill or know someone that does, please do get in touch. You can also find links to all of our social media channels on the website, so please do check it out and join us for a chat, see what we're up to and the haunted places that we've been. I do need to make a quick note here that there are a few of you that have requested to join our Facebook group recently but haven't completed the question that's asked when you attempt to join We've had a few issues with spammers in the past and answering a quick question is a simple way for us to filter the vast majority of them out. So please do complete it and then we can get you in the group and chatting with our amazing coffee community. Thank you again to our patrons whose support is vital for us to be able to keep producing the show. We recently started some Patreon fulfilled merch specifically the mugs t-shirts and hoodies and the first of you that pledge for them should be receiving them shortly so please do let us know what you think of them and we'd love to see some photos of coffee merch out in the wild. If you'd like to support the show keep us free of advertising and help us visit even more spooky locations please do consider becoming our patron which you can do by following the links on our website or by visiting patreon.com forward slash k-o-f-y you can also support the show by grabbing yourself some coffee merch through our website leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform but most of all share the show with people you think might enjoy it friends colleagues strangers on the internet help us get the word out knock once for yes is produced by my production company narrative audio And if you've got a podcast and would like to outsource your editing and post-production, then please do get in touch either through Knock Once for Yes or NarrativeAudio.com. And we hope that you'll join us again for some more spooky stories and haunted history on the next Knock Once for Yes.